Hey, 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 who fans, and welcome to the Big Blue Box Podcast. My name's Gary. My name's Adam. And welcome to episode 351. Yeah. Welcome to another week, another episode. I hope you are keeping well and safe. I hope you have had a cracking week and that you've all managed to do something Doctor Who related. Yes. Indeed. Another quiet week. Yeah, nothing happening. Nothing going on again. I'm getting sick of this. <laughs> if only we had an announcement out of the blue, a shock horror probe announcement shock. to rock us to our core. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Because mm. it is pushing on now. We were saying, weren't we, that Russell needs to get his foot down a little bit if he wants to get this <laughs> announcement out, because we haven't heard anything. And yeah. yeah, So we jest, of course. We had a big old announcement uh, that dropped the other day, which, of course, we're going to talk about when we get onto news. We've got two new news uh, stories that have dropped this week, which is unheard of these days. Mm. So it's lovely to be able to talk about some new Doctor Who stuff, which is good. So, dude, before we get on to the news and whatnot, I hope you've had a good week, dude. Anything Doctor Who? No, actually, I'm afraid. No. <laughs> After all that, I was, no, I was thinking it didn't matter. I, thought, I was thinking last night, because whenever we were about to record, I think, right, what have I got to waffle on about tomorrow? Have I done anything? Have I watched anything? And I thought, oh, it's all right. I don't need to think of anything this week, because we've got some big news to talk about, so it won't matter. <laughs> so no i haven't done anything else not too related <laughs> nice nice me either dude i had a, uh, some other bits turn up for the house some geekery stuff which is all good I had some comics turn up some books but nothing doctor who so yeah no, doctor who comics oh, I, I did pick no. up the free comic book day one with the fugitive doctor on oh yeah uh, yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. You, did, you didn't manage to grab that no 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 Oh, I actually sat and read it in the garden yesterday. And um, it's only about, the actual story is about four pages long. It's really short, but then it's a free comic. Can't yeah. really mind. Yeah. But um, it's not bad. A little, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's just a little forerunner to the next series of comics they're going to do. So they're going to do a whole, you know, comic book on uh, on the Fugitive Doctor. And nice. I think it's just interesting because we know so little about her character that it's going to be interesting to see where they take her or how, you know, how much they're allowed to expand on her world without ruining and destroying and obliterating canon. So um, this one's already intriguing. It's only a little uh, introduction to it. And um, yeah, I think I can say, I'm saying it like I'm giving spoilers, but I don't think people really care, do they? But the first Doctor sort of popped up uh, at the end, but not with her, like a totally separate scene. So I'm I'm just wondering where they're going with it. It seems like they're tying it into the first Doctor somehow. I don't know. We'll see. Okay. That sounds so, good. So, yeah, a little intriguing thing, but I was, I was pleased to pick that up. I went to my local comic store, and, and the guy there is such a dude. <laughs> Dead Universe Comics, he's such a dude. Is that in Aylesbury? Um, in Aylesbury, yeah, he's yeah. such a legend. He, he like, um, I walked in, he went, hey, man, and he's loving it because it's all happening there, and he's like, I've, don't worry, I've put one aside for you. And I'm like, oh, man, he's, he's just he's such a cool guy. That's cool, dude. Oh, I yeah. love comic book shops so much. Yeah, yeah, it's love a good it. one. Yeah. I need to pick up, uh, I've, I've not bought any Doctor Who comics for ages, actually, but there is one that I need to pick up. I think um, I think it was out in April or, or was out this month, I can't remember, but there's a, there's a comic book writer called Dan Slott. Who's Dan a, Slott? Yeah, he's a really big, famous writer for Spider-Man in the Marvel 
stuff. Oh, that. yeah, he's doing the new Tenth Doctor one, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, so I think he's doing three three specials, three paperback, trade paperback specials, and I'm sure the first one was out in April. I need to catch that, but he's a very good writer there. I loved his, um, most of, anyway, his Spider-Man run. So, yeah, have to catch up with that. But mm-hmm. otherwise, dude, nothing. No... Uh, no Doctor Who stuff going on. No. I said to you earlier, I don't know where this week's gone. I feel like I've been abducted by aliens or something. It's just, I can't believe it's Thursday already. I feel like I've done nothing this week, and yet the whole week's just flown by. So, yeah. Yes. Okay. So before we get on to a couple of very small, teeny, teeny news stories, remember to follow and subscribe to this podcast in your fave podcast app. That mean, that way you won't miss a show when it lands every single Friday. And if you want to... Um, listen on your computer on your web browser you can do that on the website which is bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk you can listen to all of the episodes over there for free and you can also check out the reviews and articles from the writing team too we're also on the socials instagram twitter and facebook there are links on the website come and give us a like and a follow and chat doctor who with us over there plus we have a free discord server again there's a link on the website hop in there and chat doctor who with lots of other cool who fans we had um we had a, a raft of people sign up to that recently, so welcome new Discord fans, new Discord users, etc. Yes, yeah, so come and uh, so come and do all that stuff, and uh, also don't forget about Adam's channel over on YouTube. Don't forget to remember <laughs> to go and check out Adam's channel on YouTube. It's called The Geek's Handbag. Indeed, yes. Yeah. So our last video is uh, done really well. I'm really chuffed after spending months on it and think because normally I spend so much time on them and. I put them out and they get a couple of hundred views. I'm like, yeah, but this one's uh, gone a bit crazy, which is nice. So, yeah, go and check out my vids. Loads of two vids on there. And check yeah. them out. Yeah, go and check it out. Adam's on the socials too, under the same name, The Geek's Handbag. Come and chat Doctor Who throughout the week too. And depending on your podcast app of choice or your platform, whatever, if you've got the ability to leave us a rating or a review, that would be amazing because that helps us out loads. And we did have a few coming on Apple Podcasts, I think over the last month or two. Very, very kind words. So thank you very much. And uh, yeah, if you've got a minute to spare, then please do something like podchaser.com or Apple or whatever it might be. That would be amazing. So thank you very much. Righty, bud. Let's, uh, let's, let's get in the TARDIS and do this news, shall we? All right. I feel, like it, I feel like it's been a while since we've heard that. We haven't done news for ages, have we? Yeah, it's been a while. It's been. Thanks, BBC. Right, the first bit of news to go through before we get on to the main event is we've got a very cool exhibition that's going to drop any time now in the uh, grand old city of Liverpool here in the UK. It's called Doctor Who Worlds of Wonder. And uh, the 27th of May is when it will open and... Uh, it, include, it will include contributions from stars across the fields of science and entertainment, along with the opportunity to find out about the many links between Liverpool and the long-running sci-fi show that is Doctor Who. So Mark Gagatis, who is, uh, they've credited him as the co-creator of BBC Sherlock mm. and writer of several episodes of Doctor Who, of course. He will narrate the exhibition. And he says, so many people have gone on to work in science that uh, had their interest peaked by watching Doctor Who, and one of the amazing things about the show is its ability to make us wonder. I'm thrilled to be part of the exhibition, and I do hope as many curiously-minded people as possible take the opportunity to visit. And we also have a proper bona fide space scientist, 
she's the presenter of BBC's The Sky at Night, Dr. Maggie Adderin-Pocock, old Maggie, MBE. She says, uh, uh, as a child, science fiction played a critical role in my life and inspired me to become a space scientist. It allows us to explore tales of wonder and shows us the possibilities of the future and how science fiction become can become science fact. I hope the Doctor Who exhibition and my contribution to it will inspire, inform and excite everyone in the same way. So some uh, couple of cool names attached to it. And then we also have Zoe Wanamaker. Uh, have to mention CBE, of course. She'll be reprising her role as Lady Cassandra. Mm. Uh, she'll put her voice to the exhibit. The last pure human who became obsessed with a warped idea of perfection through surgery. So she's going to be... Uh, She's going to be there as well. And uh, so visitors will be able to delve into the classic set designs of the original series of Doctor Who, as well as the incredible special effects and makeup design that bring the show to life, all from scientists, designers and producers who have worked on Doctor Who, which sounds very cool. So uh, tickets will be available now. You can you can get them. It will be £14 per adult if you book in advance or £16 on the day. There's also concession rates. And uh, if you're a member of the Liverpool, uh, the Liverpool building of such a name, I can't remember. Then um, I think it's just the main Liverpool museum. Then you get in for free if you're a member. Oh. So this looks rather good, buddy. I, I'm actually really excited for this because I've been looking for an excuse to get back to Liverpool. We we went down there oh sometime last year and it's the first time I've been to Liverpool. Didn't know what to expect, never been there before. We had such a good weekend down there. I mean, it was beautifully sunny, which helped, but um, such a good vibe down in Liverpool. Uh, I loved it. And we, we both said, me and my partner, as we left, like, uh, what a great weekend we'd have and we must go back um, and, and spend a bit longer down there. And then I found out about this exhibition and I was like, perfect perfect excuse to go back so um yeah and it sounds really good doesn't it i mean i'm not expecting like you know doc two experience level of of stuff but it's just really cool that we've got this um you know and it, it just sounds interesting and modern and new and fresh and yeah i'm really excited to go to this that god knows when i'll actually get down there but um i will do i will definitely go to this at some point yeah it does sound very cool and um yeah. a bit more info so that was the, the people who are attached or have put their, their voice, etc., to the exhibition. But apparently it's going to have um, epic monsters. Uh, the costumes and props and sets and everything is going to be there, which is very cool. So, mm. uh, And it's the World Museum in Liverpool. Really, really cool. Huge old building. Very cool. So, yeah, yeah go and do that. I'll stick a link in the show notes to go and book tickets. Uh, so get on it. It sounds very cool. From the 27th of May. Brilliant. Right, so let's move on to the big news then, my friend. The big news, the big announcement that just dropped out of nowhere on Sunday that Shuti Gatwa is officially the 14th Doctor, or the new Doctor. I don't think we're numbering him. I think he's just announced as the new Doctor, isn't he? And uh, the 29-year actor, best known uh, as playing Eric in the Netflix comedy series Sex Education, says there aren't quite the words to describe how I'm feeling. A mix of deeply honoured, beyond excited and of course a little bit scared. This role and the show means so much to so many around the world including myself and each one of my incredibly talented predecessors has handled the unique responsibility and privilege with utmost care. I will endeavour to 
my utmost to do the same. So Shooty sounds like he's very excited. RTD and Shooty were on the red carpet of the BAFTAs on Sunday when the news dropped and we're doing loads of interviews. And uh, I'll just quickly say off the bat, I'm incredibly excited. Um, I, I've never heard of him before. <laughs> the name meant nothing to me when I saw the announcement. I, I was in the middle of loading the washing machine and I just slumped on the sofa and opened my phone and saw uh, the, the BBC announcement. I literally caught it about, I think, a couple of minutes after it had been announced. Um so I didn't know the name and I immediately checked, like, is this, a, is this real? Because there's so many fake accounts that use that blimmin uh, Doctor Who handle was their profile picture. And uh, yes, yeah, so I was like, OK, it's official. This guy is the new Doctor. And then my other thought was, I've never heard of him. Is he, Is you know, what has he done before? And, uh, and then I was starting to see all the stuff on the BAFTA red carpet and all the interviews. So I got a little taste of what he's like. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited. I've I've gone and watched one episode of Sex Education just to see the guy in action. Have you seen it? Have you seen the show, dude? I've not seen Sex Education. No. Well, I've only watched episode one. It's very naughty, very naughty show, uh, but very fun. <laughs> uh, I can tell it's it, it looks like a really fun show. But I must be getting old and prudish because it's <laughs> there was a couple of scenes I was like, God, this is this is this is very rude. It's very rude. But I guess the um, I guess the title was the other way, but yeah, I, I mean, yeah, just very excited by this guy. I don't know much about him, but he seems like he's got a lot of charisma off the bat and him and Russell together. I just loved seeing them on the red carpet. There's just this, I just get a really good vibe um, from Russell anyway. And I think just seeing him with Shooty together, um, I feel like exciting things are around the corner. Just, just seeing the both of them together. So yeah, I'm very excited. So what about you? Do you, do you know Shooty? Um, are you excited? Are you surprised? Take, give me your thoughts. Um, well, first of all, to answer your question, no, I don't know of him. Mm-hmm. I have not, I didn't, I've not watched such a sex education before the announcement. I wasn't even, I, I may have skimmed through it, you know, browsing through Netflix at some point. I don't know. Might have seen the title, but I don't know. So, um, so I'd not heard of him or that show, and I think he's a fairly. I think he's a. He's fairly new. He's a bit of a newcomer in general. I think um, Sex Education's only his third role, um, and he's got a couple of things that are to be announced. One of them being Doctor Who, and the other thing is only a three episode running something else. So, yeah, I, I've not heard of him before. But after the announcement, obviously did a bit of googling, a bit of YouTubing, and saw him in a in a few clips and the interviews that they did at the BAFTAs and so on. And he looks like a really cool, just really energetic, exciting guy. So mm. I'm I'm loving this announcement, buddy. I think it's one of the best things that we could have hoped for, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, because one thing we're not going to do, we're not going to go down the road of uh, conspiracy theories within the BBC and box check-in mm. and, and all that stuff that... Uh, that that came about when Jodie was announced. We had so much of that. I remember when her when we did, they did that little reveal thing, you know, that little short video clip of her walking through the woods and yeah, she had the hood up yeah. and all that stuff, and everybody was going crazy. If you watch, if you just go on YouTube and just do a search for something like uh, Jodie Doctor uh, announcement reactions or something like that, you'll see people going absolutely nuts. And then when she takes her hood off, and you see that it's a, a female Doctor and it's Jodie. From that point on, it's just gets it just gets very um, sour <laughs> across mm-hmm. all of uh, who fandom and stuff, and it was it was just a it was a mix of um, 
just uh, people being elated about that and people just being dicks, frankly, about that. So we're not going to do all of that stuff because there's a lot of baggage that comes with the announcement of a new doctor. There always is. You know, it's always they're too young, they're too old, they're too white, they're not of (laughs) colour, they're not LGBTQ, they're not whatever it might be. Everybody's got, you know, their you know their two cents on that stuff purely just from the person he is and the clips i've seen of his acting and so on i think this is going to be an, an amazing era of doctor mm. who i just can't wait to see him just do his thing it just looks like he's he's completely on the ball if that makes sense he looks like he's yeah. got um i don't know he's just got a sense of energy about him which we haven't seen in a while so um yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm love. I love this casting announcement, dude. I think it's. I think it's going to be a very cool era for us coming up. I. I, I don't know about you, but I. I also like the fact that I don't really know him because it. I didn't know Matt Smith at all when he was announced, and it, it comes when you have an actor that comes to the role that you. You know, hasn't done that much. I think there's less baggage as well. Like, uh, you know, Michael Sheen is always um, put out there as somebody that people would love as the Doctor, and I think he would be amazing, absolutely amazing. But then you associate him with lots of other things, whereas Shooty, I will just see him as the Doctor because I don't know him from anything else. Some um, some people may think of him as um, the character from Sex Education, but I, I like the fact he's sort of coming sort of more fresh to the show with less less baggage and i also love the fact that um on the red carpet at bafta russell said that um because obviously you, you you know like you said on twitter stuff people have already said oh he's been cast because he's you know a person of color and he's gay and all this sort of thing um but russell has said no he literally was the last person to walk in the room he said we, we actually thought we'd found our doctor and he came in and did an audition at the very last uh, minute and we were just like, this is the guy. So I really genuinely think, you know, Russell has cast him because he feels like he is the man for the job or he's the person for the job, you know. And I, I like that. He hasn't sort of gone in there. I am not don't want to go down that road of Chibnall, but he hasn't gone in there and said, like, right, I want to feel my doctor. I want to do this. This is my plan, which is all well and good. Russell's auditioned people and he feels that there's something in Shooty that is going to be amazing. And um, so that brings up two quest- two things, really. One, I think that's great because we want to see what Russell has seen. Obviously, Shooty did something incredible in the audition. And so I'm really excited to see him bring that to the screen. And the second thing I'm thinking, though, Russell actually said, we thought we had our doctor. Who was Who's the almost doctor? Who mm. was that person that they had written at the top of the list? And they're like, yeah, we found our doctor, but... Well, we've got one more person to see. Let's let's see Shooty anyway. Let's see what he's got. And obviously he blew them away. So that whoever that person is got crossed off and I'm like, who is that? Who was that person? So yeah, but that's that's encouraging because it just shows that they thought they'd got somebody really, really good and then Shooty must have just come in and done something that little bit extra and they're like, Whoa, mm. this is the doctor. This is the doctor I'm looking for. So that that excites me a great deal, I have to say. And he just, like you said, he he seems on the ball. He's absolutely raring to go, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And that's not to um, that's not to take anything away from previous actors who have been cast. They're all raring to go. They're all, mm. you know, up for it, of course. But I don't know. There just seems like I don't know. There's just something about this guy that just seems um, like he's got the right amount of quirkiness to go along with being a great 
a great actor. We thought we had that. Well, yeah. <laughs> we thought we had that with Jodie. We thought yeah, that she could bring is- the right amount of kind of quirkiness, but she ended up, that quirkiness ended up, in my opinion, and probably in our opinion, ended up being written as more of sort of a goofy, um, sort of funny, trying to be funny, goofy kind of quirkiness, which doesn't really work for us. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm sort of slapping myself down a little bit because I don't want to get too carried away because I do remember having the same buzz when Jodie was announced. We we both were really excited for Jodie. Mm. I remember saying about the... um, interview panel she did uh, when she was announced i think it was over in the states whatever the big convention is over there and we both said like oh she's going to be really cool i can just tell she's going to be a great doctor she's got that sort of thing and of course what massively let her down was the writing she was just written to be a gormless idiot um oh that's that that just came out really harsh i, I genuinely didn't mean to, that to sound that horrible actually but that that's how i feel about it so i went from <laughs> massive excitement to just i sound like i'm being flippant i'm being genuine i did not mean that to come out that harsh but yeah, we was. I was so disappointed how Jodie turned out. My, but why I'm trying to not get too carried away with shooting it, but but have more confidences with Russell. I, I just feel like Russell is a better writer, and I, it gives me more confidence in the new Doctor. Correct, mm. correct, Amondo. And I think that's the key, right? So this is this is linked really closely to obviously the announcement of Shooty, but. It really does. It's like a hand-in-hand thing with the showrunner, right? So when we had Stephen Moffat announced as a new showrunner with Matt Smith, those two worked really well together. And um, the same, obviously, with Russell and with with, uh, not necessarily Chris, I guess, these days that we know, but definitely David Tennant. Um, And I think this is another one of those pairings that just seems like it's going to be like a, a, a much more open thing because Chibos was was so closed in. You never knew anything. Mm. You didn't know what he was saying. The only thing we knew about him was this ultimatum that he gave to the BBC, this agenda, like, I will only do this if we have a female doctor. So mm. straight off the bat, you've, you've wiped out, you know, potentially hundreds of really great male actors who could have played the doctor. So you're already you're you've already put these demands in place, and then it's like you've limited yourself to, you know, a much smaller pool of of, of actors who happen to just be female. So uh, it, it seems like that's the opposite with Russell. It seems like it, like he didn't care whether it was a guy or a woman, straight, gay, black, white. It didn't matter, which is completely correct in my opinion. It shouldn't have been a right as as russell i'm going to say to the bbc right i'll only do this if we have a black doctor or i'll only do it if we have a white it, it, that just it strikes me as russell would never do that ridiculousness let's just get the best person to play the doctor regardless of their gender or whatever it might be so for that very reason alone i think he's found such a great person to do it 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 just strikes me as a really good pairing between them and they seem to get on really well they seem to have a really good a really good relationship already so that's a good thing and that's what i mean about seeing them on the red carpet is they you just there's something about rtd that the, just the love for the show he's got just pours through doesn't it um whereas christian was a very sort of private man doesn't really particularly like doing interviews i don't think that's how it comes across um so that makes promoting the show a bit more difficult i think russell is the sort of opposite of that he loves to get out there and you, you could tell from sort of seeing him on the red carpet that he was absolutely brimming to talk about 
the show, but it's, it's out of respect. And he kept almost having to sort of rein himself in. He was like, but, you know, th- this is all, you know, we've got plenty of time for that next year. You know, Jodie's still got an episode, so we don't want to overshadow that. And you could tell, but you could see the excitement in him uh, that he is just, you know, can't wait to unleash whatever he's got planned on us next year. Um, and I just love that enthusiasm. And it does create a buzz that I think has been missing by not having a showrunner like that. And it, it's a unique thing. I mean, I do have to sort of remind myself in a way, like why should the showrunner have to be like that? Because I can't think of many other programs where we associate the, the personality of the showrunner with the show so closely, but it's just one of those things that seems to go hand in hand with Doctor Who. You know, be it RTD, be it John Nathan Turner, be it Stephen Moffat, Chris Chibnall. If you have a showrunner like Russell that is so enthusiastic and seems to really love getting out there and promoting the show, that enthusiasm really does translate to the audience. And I, I just felt it straight away on the red carpet. It was like, yeah, it was just really nice to see. I just want to ask you, though, I, I personally, I'm, I'm thrilled with the casting. I am really surprised that they didn't go with another female, though, only because I was convinced that if they if they went back to a male doctor, that people would go crazy and be like, you know, it would look like Jodie's doctor had failed. And with all the decline in viewing figures and the fan base has massively dropped off, um, you know, that does it does. It did feel like that for a second. But because of what he said about Shooty coming in, and doing the auditions. I think that's just, like you said, it's just how it was. It could have been another female. It's got nothing to do with the state of the show at the moment. It's got nothing to do with, we need another female to show that it, you know, it, it can work and all this sort of stuff. It, it just comes back to the bare, bare basics of, uh, no, this guy's walked in. I think he's going to be a great doctor and that's why I've cast him. But I am still, I, I would have put money on it being another female doctor, if I'm honest. So. Uh, yeah, I was um, I was kind of expecting it in a way, but then to be a male, to be a, another female doctor, female, yeah, and not that there was any, not that there would be anything wrong with that at all, because, like I said, it doesn't matter all of that stuff if you've got the if I, I say if you it, it, from Russell's point of view, if he has if he feels like he has the best person to bring to life his doctor in this era, then that stuff doesn't matter. But I, I did have this kind of niggling feeling that the BBC might have put a little bit of pressure on to say, look, we've come this far <laughs> with a female doctor. We can't have it viewed as a, as a failure because now we're going back to male doctors. Mm. So I, I can imagine the the get out clause for that would be something like, well, who's to say that the 15th doctor won't be another female, you, you know, that kind of thing. So, but I, yeah, I did, I was expecting sort of 50% of me was expecting it to be another female for that reason. The BBC saying, uh, Russell, you really should be looking at another female doctor here so we can continue this, this train of, of, of a new direction for the doctor in, in doctor who. So I'm just glad it's the best person. Like I said, if it was another female, that wouldn't bother me at all. As long as it was a, the, as long as that person was written for, you know, really well. And I think Russell will do that. Definitely. I was going to say, in some ways, I, I kind of would love. I would have loved 
if it had been another female cast, I would have liked that in a sense that I know Russell would have written them well. And I would love to, to have been a strong female lead. I would absolutely love to see that because I think that is the thing that's really frustrating me about Jodie's era, that she hasn't been written as a strong female lead. And it's to me, it's the thing that really annoys me because it was such a missed opportunity and it just gave anybody that was against female doctor, it gave them all the an- an- ammunition they needed to destroy the show. Whereas right, if she'd right. have been a strong lead, and um, there are plenty of strong female lead characters on the TV now, it, 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 honestly, it really could have been great. Mm-hmm. And it, it frustrates me to this day how poorly sort of Jodie has, has been let down, really, because, uh, well, I, I, I don't think, I don't know if she ever had it in there. I'll never know now because the way she was written. But I, I think if you'd have cast somebody else that really sort of commanded the screen and, and made a, a great female doctor, it would have been brilliant. And I, I wish we'd seen that. So in that sense, I am slightly disappointed it's not female because I feel like Jodie's ear will get written off too easily now because of all its weak points. So in that sense, I'm disappointed. But on the other hand, I'm just excited for this sort of new era and I think it is great casting. And I'm glad that they've chosen them based on their performance and nothing else. Yeah, there is, that is a... I don't know what the right word for that is. It's a not a concern, but it's a it's a thing now, isn't it? That I think Jodie's era will be overshadowed because it's been sandwiched between two more popular eras of the show. And there's and I say that with I, I sorry I don't say that with a sense of overconfidence about Russell's new era coming up. I've, I'm just confident in him as a writer and to manage the show and to write for this doctor i do feel like again in my opinion probably our opinion that this upcoming era of who is going to be one of the best since 2005 mm. and then when you have the the era before jody with capaldi um although the ratings were dipping off even in capaldi's era they were still higher than jody's so i think the ratings are going to go up now for i think people are going to come back for Russell's new era of who. So that's going to create this kind of valley that Jodie's era sits at the bottom of because it's in between these two more successful eras. So yeah, she is in danger of being, um, unfortunately forgotten about. I mean, I don't, I hate to say that, but I think in 10 years time, 15 years time, if Dr. Who is still going and we're another two, three, four doctors in, and we think back to we're doing these kind of celebration, like, you know, 30 years or whatever it might be since Doctor Who came back in 2005. It'll almost be like, oh, remember Jodie's era? What what did she do again? I <laughs> think it'll be remembered you know? for all the wrong reasons. Exactly. That's the problem. Yeah. yeah. It will be, um, yeah, I don't know. It does bring me on to something else I want to just quickly ask you before we wrap this up, and that is the, the we talk about the ratings and stuff, and you said, you know, you think it'll the ratings will go up. Um, some people are saying because he's not a big name, you know, after the sort of disastrous slump in ratings that Doctor Who suffered recently, people thought we needed a big name to push it right back into the limelight. And, and a lot of people are saying, shooty, isn't it? It's like, this is not enough to save Doctor Who. Now, I was thinking, hmm, okay, I suppose there's a slight element to that. But after this was announced, <laughs> I was getting messages from, like, um, for example, a, a couple, quite a few people, but a couple of people that come straight to mind. So I was getting messages from, like, my cousin, and she's probably in her 20s, something like that. She immediately messaged me. She's not a Dot 2 fan, 
by it doesn't really yeah not really dot two fan she's like oh my god i love him i'll definitely be tuning into this and i'm thinking we perhaps people around our age she's like we both don't know what sex education is we haven't watched it maybe we're thinking he's not enough to bring in a bigger audience but if he's quite sort of credible and it seems like he is with the younger audience and I did get a few messages like that on my Facebook and Twitter saying, oh, well, oh, my other friend, one of my great best friends, Jo, uh, she was going mad. And she she is not, she switched off halfway through the Jodie era. She couldn't take it. She's, she loved, David, she's a big David Tennant fan. She loved Matt Smith. She she just, Capaldi not so much, and she couldn't get into Jodie and that was the end of it. She was so excited by this guy. She was going mad. And I, and I was saying, I don't know who he is. And she was like, what? He's brilliant. Oh, he's going to be amazing. So what I'm saying is maybe the sort of younger audience that we want to get back will come back because of Shooty, because they they will be part of that crowd, you know, uh, that have walked away. Um, but uh, because he, because I didn't know him, I just assumed he was a sort of unknown name. But it seems like in the, you know, he's a bit down with the kids, with the caller group. They all know who he is, and they 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 think he's going to be amazing. So, yeah. So yeah, maybe it will yeah. bring back an audience. I don't think we can expect like eight to ten million like we used to get. I think those days are gone. But if we can get back to a more healthy source, mm, I don't know what would you call healthy now? Five six million. Where in this day, and, yeah, well, yeah, four and upwards to be four nice. Four and upwards, I suppose. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, let's not go to that road. But yeah, four and up <laughs> would be um would be nice. But yeah, yeah I just and I can't think wait. Everyone, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a long wait, isn't it? Yeah, it is a long wait. But I think it's going to be worth the wait, just because we have so much, so much potential good change to come. With the whole production thing moving out of the BBC into a dedicated production company now. Julie Gardner being more influential because she's mm-hmm. one of the top dudes at Bad Wolf, bringing her back into the mix a little bit, working with Russell. New Doctor, Russell's... You know what I mean? It just it just feels like we have so much to look forward to. And yeah. it is a shame, dude. It And Russell's doing a great job of being very diplomatic. So he said on that red carpet thing, he was like... Um, you know, I'm sure you're dying to know more, but we've we've but we've ra- we're rationing ourselves for now uh, with mm. the wonderful Jody's epic finale yet to come. So he's doing a really good job of trying to not steal the thunder, so to speak, because we've got this big epic story for Jody still to come. But um, I don't know about you, mate, but I'm just not I'm not really that fussed. It will be like the Sea Devils episode where you'll probably say to me on the episode we record that goes out before it you'll be like are you going to watch this live mate and i'll be like i guess if i'm at home if not i'll probably just watch it the following morning or you know or or whatever so and we haven't been like that with who for for ages have we you know so um hopefully we'll get back to the days where it's like everyone in this room partners wives whoever don't make any plans for me because Doctor Who's on it this time, and we I have to be in front of the TV for this, and we haven't had that for a while. So, but I think we will. Yeah, that's. I would love to get back to that. I would absolutely love to get back to that. I, I really want that feeling back inside of me, that buzz, uh, which is completely gone. I, I, I think I'd reach the point where, as if if we were getting another series of of Jodie and Chibnall, I honestly, 
and I do mean this sincerely, not, I don't want to be one of those people of, oh, I'm walking away. I really just wouldn't be interested at all. I, and I've said that, you know, on and off the podcast. I and just, the, the fire has gone out for me and I never, ever thought I would feel like that about Doctor Who. Yeah. Even if it was, even when it wasn't its best, there was always something in it that would make me want to watch. And I, I really hope with this new era that I get back to feeling excited and really in love with it uh, again. Um, and I just want to quickly ask you, talking about the centenary, which, like you, I'm just not really fussed about, but um, I am wondering, do you think we will see a regeneration? Uh, mm-hmm. Because obviously... Those guys didn't know Sheety was announced when Jodie left. Um, I've been saying for ages that I believe we'll get an open-ended regeneration. She'll get in that TARDIS and fly off. And I believe that when Russell brings the show back, it'll start like it did with Eccleston. Sheety will step out of the TARDIS and it will just be as if the regeneration has happened off screen. Mm. Uh, that's what I think is going to happen. And I, I don't want that, to be honest. I want to see Jodie regenerate. Um, I want to see that awful console room explode into a million pieces so that I never have to see it again. And uh, and I want to see Shooty uh, on screen. That's what I want to see. But I don't think we're going to get that. And I just wondered if you think we will. Mm. Yeah, you raise a good point because they've already filmed everything, right? They've already yeah. done. I, we have no idea when, when Shooty auditioned for Russell. It, it, I, don't, I don't know. It could have been a month ago. It could have been six, seven months ago. Who knows? I don't know. Um, yeah, he said he was. He said he knew in February that he got the job. So that, I don't know when they thing, but that's when he knew he'd got it. Was February, so he's had to keep it secret since then. Oh, okay, right. So that's he like four that months ago, and then yeah. he probably would have auditioned for a while before that. So yeah, um, uh, I don't know. I I have a feeling we'll see Shooty at the end. I reckon they would have they Do would you? have filmed a, a a thing with a scene with him. Yeah, I know. I do you know the more. I I don't know. Because I, I don't think I'll tell you why I'm I'll tell you, sorry not to shut you down, but I'll tell you why I'm shaking my head is because I'm thinking back to interviews that is it Matt Strevens or someone did recently where he's like, we didn't even know if Doctor Who was going to carry on until Russell was announced, and we only knew the night before. And I'm thinking, so as far as they were concerned, when they wrapped up filming Doctor Who, they didn't even know the show whether the show was going to continue. Right, right. So I'm just thinking, yeah. oh, so that just suggests to me that they. This is why she's going to get in that TARDIS and that's going to leave a big open gap that Big Finish can say all these adventures happened after <laughs> she left and she's the Doctor forever because we never saw her regenerate. And I, I can just see it now. But I hope I'm wrong. I really, really hope we get to see her regenerate. I think so. But I just, I think everything they'll, they'll I've heard that. points against it. Yeah, no, I read it. I just, I think it would be too... I think if... If all this thing, all the announcement with Russell and all that had happened way sooner and we were getting a brand new series of Doctor Who that was starting in November or October, something like that, then um, then perhaps. But because we're going to have such a long wait, I think that's too long a wait to not give us a little a little nugget of this is your new oh, Doctor. I think so. I hope so. Yeah. I it's really exciting times right. though, dude. Yeah. It's exciting. It is. Sure. It is exciting. It's very exciting. And out of nowhere, I mean, no big announcement show, no in-between football announcement promo. It was like just dropped out of nowhere, wasn't it? And Russell <laughs> said, you know, what bigger platform do I need? I'm at the BAFTAs going out to millions across the world. I mean, again, just the fact that Russell's even thought of that. He's like, when's the best time to, I know, we're going to the BAFTAs, you're presenting an award, let's let's do that and get loads of free publicity. Just the fact that man's so clicked on in that sense. But yeah. yeah, 
and dude I'm, i love that as well about russell like mm. i'm so glad they don't do these live announcement tv shows on the bbc <laughs> they're just terrible mate they've never been good no they've, they've always well, been you... so cheesy and i'd admit i liked the matt smith one <laughs> but i remember sort of sitting down and watching that so excited but yeah the other one yeah i agree with you this is this is and I think one of the other podcasts I was listening to, I think it was um, the Doctor Who show one, uh, those guys said, you know, uh, it, it's just this day and age, the audience, they're, they're sort of going for stuff. Of course, it's a social media thing. Just, you know, there there is no need for no, like a no. big announcement show. Just get it out there, drop it on social and it spreads like wildfire anyway. So Exactly, yeah. mate. Yeah. yeah, we're living in a different age, really. And Russell gets that as well. He, know, he, he knows exactly. that yeah. stuff. Yeah, he's, been, he's been in the game long enough to... to um, to, to keep up with, with what's happening in that respect of things. So I imagine that was an option on the table. Shall we do a, a thing? He's probably like, get out of here. What are you talking about? Even the two, the, the two emoji thing, the two hearts plus blue box that was shoved out on social media just for the announcement, even that was just like going everywhere. People's like, what's this? Is this a, what does this mean? You know, just love stuff like that, that <laughs> they're thinking of these clever things rather than, uh, anyway, I don't want to compare, keep comparing it to what we've had before, but <laughs> it's just all these little things just point to excitement and, um, and uh, yeah. fresh times. Yeah. Good times. Yeah. Just to wrap this up quickly, dude, do you think there's anything to this? Uh, so when Russell's final words at the BAFTAs, his final words on it were, but I promise you, 2023 will be spectacular. Spectacular. Yes, I, I think so. And I think, I don't, I John think. Sim. That he, oh, oh, really? John Sim? Really? John Sim's, uh, John Simage, spectacular. Oh, yeah. I, I hadn't put two and two together Probably there. nothing in it, mate, but. Yeah, uh, he's reading into already. Um, yeah, well, that would that would be cool, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. Don't know. <laughs> anyway, any final thoughts, dude, on Shooty being our new our new doctor? Uh, no, I just can't. I just can't sum up my excitement, and I, I don't want to. I don't want to wish my life away, but I can't wait. Honestly, it's, um, yeah, I just can't wait. I know it's going to be a bit of a wait, but I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> really same, looking forward to same. it. So welcome Shooty then to the uh, to the Who family. Much better decision to have a newbie or a, a, a relatively, I wouldn't say unknown, but like a, a fresh you know, new actor in the role rather than someone like Hugh Grant that just carries its own level of ginormous amounts of baggage with it and, and all that. So. I, I, I just a, a boy looking at a Dalek. <laughs> Jesus. In the rain. In the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bloody hell yeah so there we go uh dear doctor who big blue box listeners i'm sure you already know we have a new 14th doctor a new doctor the 14th doctor which is going to be amazing so we'll uh we'll obviously keep you up to date as we always do if there's any news that drops around i wonder if russell will do this thing like he did in the old days where we'll get some set picks and we'll get some updates more regularly and it won't be a chibbers Chippers, have you got any news on on Doctor Who, the upcoming episode? What episode? You know, the episode that you're writing. What's that then? Doctor Who? What's Doctor Who? You know, none of that crap. So hopefully we'll get some good stuff to talk about in the run-up to his era starting again next year, which would be good. Yes. Uh, Right. Um, On that note, we've waffled quite a long on that. So we are going to kind of speed run through our review, I think, this week. Let's get through it pretty quick so you guys can uh, get back to your... Get back to making a cup of tea or doing some work or whatever. So, dude, 
What's up for review this week? Yeah, ship ahoy! It's the Fifth Doctor Adventure, Enlightenment. Tell the Doctor, he said, somebody or something must not win the race. Winner takes all. When the White Guard insists to Jake, he's invariably right. Whatever else is going on here, no one's threatened us. Yet. What are you competing for? I mean, the whole point of a race is to win something. What's the prize? Enlightenment. We do not exist in time. We are eternal. There's no need to whisper, Doctor. You and your companions are free to come and go as you wish. You are our guests, not our prisoners. I heard the power that speaks to you. I heard it and I know the voice. He speaks to me as well. Take him away. Enlightenment then. So this was back in series 20. And it was a full part of it. It was first broadcast on the 1st of March 1983 and finished up on the 9th of March. It was written by Barbara Clegg, directed by Fiona Cumming, overseen by script editor Eric Sayward, stars Peter Davison, um, Janet Fielding, Mark Strickson. Uh, with about half a dozen supporting cast members. And the synopsis is materialising on an Edwardian sailing yacht in space. The fifth Doctor and his companions, Tegan and Turlo, find themselves caught up in a mysterious, <laughs> in a mysterious, in a mysterious and deadly race. The prize is enlightenment, the wisdom to find your heart's desire. And it quickly becomes clear that one of the crews, uh, one of the crew members will not let anything and nobody stopped them from claiming victory as the Black Guardian pressures Turlo to complete his side of their murderous pact. It seems that the Doctor may not survive to cross the finish line. (laughs) Enlightenment, buddy. We haven't done a Davison story in bloody ages, so was it cool for you to revisit this one and watch some Davison, or were you not fond of this one? (laughs) Trying to do the Black Guardian laugh. (laughs) Yeah, I saw a cross between the Penguin from the old Batman. um, Did I enjoy Enlightenment? Well, um, yes and no. (laughs) Yes, I did like the story. Um, but I also found myself getting quite bored. So it's a bit of a contradiction, really, for me, this one. But I do really like the story, you know. I think it's a, a really cool concept. And I, I love the idea of the, of these old-fashioned ships floating in space with these Eternals, um, cont- you know, using humans for their own sort of, um, uh, their own uh, means sort of thing. So I think it's a really cool concept, actually. And I thought the cast kind of helped carry this story along because it is a bit ploddy in places. Um, it's not a story I watch very often at all. Uh, the Black Guardian trilogy is uh, a strange bunch. So uh, for anyone that wants to listen to our reviews, the other stories, we did Mordrino Dead back in episode 98. And um, mm. I think that's probably my favourite of the three if I had to pick. Oh, it's a straight, again, it's a really strange trilogy of episodes, this one. Terminus we did uh, in episode 160, which uh, Terminus I've never liked. I think it's dreadful, actually. And then, yeah, now we're finally doing the third one in this Black Guardian trilogy, Enlightenment. So to sort of recap my thoughts on it, um, I enjoyed the story. I think it's full of interesting ideas. I like the cast. I think everyone in it seems to be taking it seriously. Uh, Peter Davison, I feel like, is giving a bit of gusto in his performance. I feel like he's into it. Or at least I feel like he's 
I feel like he's trying to add inject some excitement into the story because uh, it is a bit slow in places. And um, yeah, so overall, I liked it. I'd, as a conclusion to the trilogy, though, a little bit weak uh, in terms of the Black Guardian stuff. So they just sit around a table and uh, with a chessboard at the end, and it, it felt like a bit of an anticlimax in terms of wrapping up the Black Guardian storyline. But it was sort of satisfying enough. But yeah. It's an odd story. It's very trippy. And um, I enjoyed it for the most part, but I also found myself getting bored in other parts. So, so it's a little bit of a middle-of-the-road one for me. Okay. But out of the trilogy, it's probably my second favourite. I think I like Mordrin best, this one. And then Terminus is right down the bottom of the list. Mm. Yeah, um, I read you, man. I, but I'm, it's all right. It's all right. And there's, yeah, some good stuff in here. Yeah, I am agree. I'm, I agree with you on that stuff, dude. I think it's... um. It's it's not a bad story. It's okay. In, in terms of the, the the concept of the story is pretty good. Concept's good, yeah. Yeah. And in reference to this being as part of the trilogy, this loose kind of Black Guardian trilogy. Hmm. It's um yeah, I I would yeah, I do agree. I think the I think Mordwin is a is a better, slightly better story. And the the climax to this and the supposed quote unquote defeat of the Black Guardian is very Mm. rushed i felt because we have four episodes of him just popping up and laughing yeah. a couple of times yeah, yeah doing his um <laughs> his cartoon scooby-doo laugh and then and on after that we only get literally just two or three minutes at the end of the last episode with them two round the table it's just very yeah. you very know civilized and these dead birds on their head yeah and i tell you what mate that last scene that's just indicative of the directing throughout the entire story it's like, right, you stand there, you stand yeah. there, and you stand there, action. And they just stand there literally with their arms down their sides, not moving an inch from their spot. Yeah. It's like, your line. Yep, yep. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly static, this entire story, mate. So conceptually, I don't mind it. I think it's a pretty decent story. Um, in terms of an engaging story to watch over four parts, it's a hard watch for me, dude, this one. It, oh, I, yeah. yeah, I had to watch it two and two. You, you didn't watch all four together, did you? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh no. Yeah. I, had to, I broke it up, and that, it worked quite nicely, actually, because one thing I will say, for a story that is quite plotty, the cliffhangers are pretty decent. You know, old Turlo floating off into space, and and uh, what's the other cliffhanger? Um the suction room and stuff. The cliffhangers are not bad. I mean, I got to the end of episode one, I thought, oh, it's a bit dull, but uh, it's a couple of, you know, some good things. I'll, I'll watch the next one. And um, yeah, I think if I, if you split it into sort of two and two, it, it's very watchable, I think, but couldn't probably couldn't handle all four in one go. That's a bit of a slog, I think, because oh, okay. it is very static, isn't it? Although, although we criticised um, Legends of the Sea Devil for the boat not having any... <laughs> any motion on it didn't we we said you know you didn't feel like the boat was moving they've they've taken those notes on this one there's definitely movement on this boat isn't there jesus you know, camera Christ, swings dude. back and forth and you almost feel a bit seasick watching it at times chess boards are flying across the you know so there's definitely a bit of um <laughs> bit of effort put in on that side of things that was funny wasn't it dude there was a couple of times in this episode Whoa. where <laughs> they did it near the beginning when the TARDIS, when they're in the TARDIS, and oh, he flips the board over. That's yeah, funny. yeah. So that that's um, so the Doctor's trying to um, 
communicate with the White Guardian, and it's using up all the power of the TARDIS, and it's going to over, over, it's going to blow up. Essentially, it's going to you know overcook it, and um, and uh, um, there's a bit where the TARDIS rocks. So obviously, the whole set you know is obviously not going to move. So they just mm-hmm. sort of very quickly rotate rotate the camera just quick like a jerk in motion, and um, it then requires the actors to make it appear as if. Um, they're following that kind of angle of tilt and stuff and uh, they do the same thing on the boat as you said on those ships and um, it's <laughs> it's kind of funny in a way because uh, it's funny and it's tragic on in equal measure because as the director you know watching this stuff you know in your heart that it doesn't look right because mm-hmm. you've got people who are reacting to it at different times so yeah. it just the illusion just doesn't work but on the other hand you have no time and money to reshoot these things it's just like right that's it in the can next scene there isn't because this story was already delayed massively because of the electrician strike at the bbc at the time so they're already three months behind mm-hmm. you cannot just you say right we need more studio time because it's like you just can't do that on these old shows like this so um you appreciate the charm that it you know and sort of the uh I imagine if we were watching this in the B, in the BFI at those scenes, there would have been a chuckle that sort of oh, yeah. resonates around yeah. the audience and stuff like that. So, mm. um, but as those little things aside, dude, I'm so disappointed in the direction. It's just so static, mm. and but then again, that's what that's what can you do? It's like you're on a ship, and bar a few scenes where the camera's rotating a little bit to try and give the illusion of they're not even on on waves in water. That's the oh, funny no. thing as well. It's like the, so it's the <laughs> It's the the space winds that are, you know, moving in around and stuff. But what can you do, I suppose? You're just on these little corridors, these little tiny rooms, like um, the 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 deck at the bottom when the Doctor and Turlo go in and see all the sailors there just chilling out and having a game of whatever. Uh, it's a t- such a tiny enclosed space. And then the, the wheelhouse and then the... There are all these just little rooms on the ship. So... Although I'm complaining that it's static, it's like, what can you do though? What mm. what can you do with that stuff? So, no location shoots. There's no. No, it's all studio bound. Wider it? sets. I mean, yeah. The, it, the one in the evening studio stuff looks nice, doesn't it? The the one that's on film. You know, the outside of the ship looks quite nice. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, it looks okay. Yeah, but it's still very static. But again, there's probably a tiny set. Oh right, yeah, just a small little reusable set with all these like. Yeah, I don't know. So I'm complaining, but yeah, obviously we're not aware of the struggle at the time and, and having to do that. So, Well, I think Fiona Cummins is probably a very... She she seems on the, in the interviews as a very sort of um, enthusiastic director, and I, I think she was quite well-liked. You know, I think she, she was quite well good to work with. But um, I also get the feeling that she's a bit of a old-school style of director, in, in, yeah. in that she is very much um, shoe and point. She's not very adventurous in her camera angles or or trying different things. You know, she's not. She's sort of the opposite of Douglas Canfield. She won't put the camera down low and try and make it exciting. I think she is just a sort of old s- style of director, unfortunately. And like you said, you couple that with probably minuscule sets, um, and it's probably not a lot to work with. I think they could have added a bit more atmosphere, though. I mean, there's a couple of. S- creaking boat sound effects added um and you get the usual 80s davidson style music popping up here and there but 
you've got some good creepy characters here, like the guy who's a bit obsessed with Turlo. He's really creepy. Mm. Um, you've got these strange sort of people who don't seem to be there. They're sort of a bit vacant. Um, so there's there's a creepy atmosphere in the story, but I don't think it, you know. I think you could have made this a quite you know atmospheric if you'd have added some sort of I don't know maybe some sound effects or a bit more music even. I mean I'm not normally you get too much music in the eighties Doctor. Normally it's drowning everything out. This seemed a little bit sort of back to basics to me. It's a bit like you know get the odd boop boop sort of mm. music of the boat, but. Yeah, I felt like it was... There was a lot of scenes, actually, what I'm trying to say is where there was sort of studio silence. Yes. Which makes yeah. it feel really flat. That's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, if you'd added in just some undertone or underlying sound effect or music here, you'd probably create a more suspenseful episode. But that, I think that doesn't help. There's there's a lot of times when it's just talking and there's literally nothing but static studio sound in the background which makes it almost feel a little bit incomplete really yeah it doesn't um, help yeah. to relieve the boredom either yeah and the unfortunate thing that comes with that when you don't have much in a way of sort of atmospheric music or a, a nice transition between scenes and so on is that it feels like a, you're watching a school play on a stage yeah. because all you hear after someone's finished the the last line of that scene is the clomping sound of their feet hitting the ground as they walk off set off set and then mm. it's like that just smacks to me of um like a school play or a even a just a normal theater production where yeah. you just hear somebody clomping off and that so it does feel very very basic in on on a few different levels this one so malcolm clark so the composer um just really far i it's just forgettable mate really i can't even remember any of the little music cues really other than the the little whistling sound that you heard now and then. Yeah, I was going to say that's all that sticks in my head. Yeah. Yeah, but he did. Um, he did Earthshock. He did Resurrection of the Daleks, Twin Dilemma, Attack of the Cybermen, Vervoids. He did all that. God, you think of Resurrection as well. The music's like I can hear that in my head straight away. The dark, doom, doom, doom. You know, there's that weird sort of. Uh, sort of depressing mm. music that he has uh, you know underlying that quite a depressing story and actually i do like the music in in resurrection but yeah i can't remember anything in this really apart from the whistle sound yeah and the twin dilemma as well it's got an annoyingly catchy little yeah. little melody that plays a few times throughout the story so, again i can instantly hear it in my head i yeah. can picture the twins playing the game just doo, doo, just like this twinkly music yeah mm -hmm. instantly hear it in my head yeah yeah Maybe Fiona was just like, look, I haven't got time to fanny around with <laughs> lots of this music. I want to just concentrate on the on the actors doing their their thing on the boards. <laughs> she wants. Yeah. I get the feeling that she would have loved this to have been a a theatre production or something like that because it does it does play out like that in a lot of scenes where you have um, the old traditional way of directing a stage play where it's like right. You, you're there front and centre, you're there, and then you come in stage left, you come in stage right, and then when you're done saying your scene, you leave stage right. You know, it has those very traditional kind of um, directorial cues yeah. that you'd associate with a theatre production. So um, so story-wise, dude, conceptually, it's pretty decent. We um, Just to summarise then, we have this kind of... Uh, we have this idea of these Eternals, these beings that are just bored, essentially. And... Um, that they're just bored, and so they um, they enlist 
uh, what's the best way to put it? They enlist um, these crew members, these humans throughout history, and they use them and they create this illusion from their minds and from what they're thinking to create this kind of old English or very old human-esque kind of you know, high seas race, you know, to get to the finish line. It just happens to be in space for them because the ultimate prize is to get enlightenment. Mm. Uh, you know, so conceptually, it sounds very cool. It sounds very much beyond its time. It's very out there and it's very cool. It's very trippy, mm. yeah. But the 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 actual uh, steps to get there as you're watching through each episode, did you find it a bit repetitive? Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. I did. Yeah, especially with Tegan. It's a shame that Tegan was um that was reduced to a little bit of a uh, um absolutely nothing new for her at all. Like at the beginning the do- uh, the doctor says stay here in the TARDIS. You're needed here. We knew that was never going to happen. It was just such an expected thing. It's like, well what would Tegan do? Well, she'd obviously leave the TARDIS, so that's what she does. And then the doctor says, you know, throughout the story you know, let's go and do this. And she doesn't do it. And she goes off and does that. So the only little cool thing for her character for me was when she was, um, when she was knocking around with that creepy dude, you know, the one of the Eternals yeah. that he pops up in the top in the, Oh, this was a great bit. If you that and I were funny. watching this, we would have Pants. cracked up laughing at this bit where <laughs> he's on the screen in the TARDIS and his face is just looking around. And then he just does this comical, He's like slips over or something or he falls back yeah. and he does his like, ah, and he falls on the floor apparently. And yeah. So he eyes up Tegan, doesn't he? He sees her and he's like, you fascinate me. You're not like all the other humans. I'm sort of, you know, you, she's having none of it. You intrigue me. So that was the only cool thing for her character was this bit where she's knocking around with him. He's a bit creepy. And even at the end when, you know, they get banished or whatever, they, uh, even then at right at the end, he's like, you know, come with me or I don't, you know, I want to stay sort of thing. So what do you think to, before we get on to Turlo, what do you think to Tegan? Because I found her just a bit wandering around most of the time and just doing Tegan stuff, nothing really. She wasn't written to be anything that you would remember and think, oh, do you remember Tegan in Enlightenment? She was amazing, mm. you know? Yeah, I mean, she gets a costume change, that's about it. Is that there are, I mean, there are <laughs> moments where there could have been good stuff. I mean, I think it's this thing between the Eternal and Tegan's quite interesting and it's, if they'd have built up that a bit, that could have been because he is creepy. Uh, you know, he's, he's good casting that guy. He's he's sort of likable but creepy at the same time. And um, it's quite sad at the end when he's like, "Oh no, but I want to learn or whatever." And you sort of think there. I think there was a bit more they could have built up there because Tegan's just so dismissive that it kind of shuts down the story straight away, doesn't it? She's like, she's just not interested. Um, but there was other stuff like when she's in her cabin. And she suddenly notices that it's like her room in the TARDIS. And there's even a picture of good old Aunt Vanessa, you know. So that's, the, oh, well, that's an interesting idea, but it doesn't really go anywhere. So, yeah, sadly, she kind of just gets, um, yeah, she doesn't really get a lot to do. Apart, You know, she gets hypnotized for five seconds and has that emerald put in her tiara. Um, but, yeah, she doesn't get a lot to do, really, apart from sort of run away from that creepy guy. Um, yeah. So yeah, not a great one for, not a great one for Tegan. No, she wasn't. She wasn't terrible. It just felt like she didn't really like. It, it felt like Janet Fielding would have loved to have got her teeth into something a bit more. 
meaty yeah. with it. You she, know, she looks a bit bored in it. She there does, is a yeah. fun scene where she walks out in a new costume, though, and the doctor doesn't even notice. You know, <laughs> typical doctor. She's like, "What do you?" He comes out expecting a big, "Oh wow!" and he just goes right. You know? I know, bless her. Uh, He's so yeah. dismissive of her a lot of the time, isn't he, Davison's doctor? He's so, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Before we get on to some other cast members and the Doctor, then what do you think to Mark Strickson with Turlo in this one? Because he does have his, um, he has a bit more to do than Tegan. So he does actually. Yeah. So the um, the story sort of comes back round again, and I guess this is the biggest link with this loose trilogy. I guess with the Black mm-hmm. Guardian, where he's enlisted Turlo to kill the Doctor. Turlo's dragging his heels. You know, has kind of come round to the uh, the idea that actually the Doctor's an all right bloke, and uh, he doesn't want to kill him. But the Black Guardian's like, you know, you haven't, you're a pathetic boy, and all this sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and then there's um, so we have that to deal with, and then there's that bit where he, uh, it feels like he's defected over to the other ship. Right? There's another ship, the Buccaneer. That's right. W- which yeah. is which is manned by um. Uh, Captain Rack, played by Linda Barron. And um, <laughs> we'll get on to Linda in a minute. But um, So he's like on this ship and then they had this big uh, ball, don't they, which is the costume changes and everything. But yeah. throughout it, um, Turlo never adapts to anything. He continuously plays this kind of, uh, uh, what's the word, kind of rebellious, shouty... Um, uh, kind of character like you could never send him undercover to go and do anything because he's just useless it's like every time that there's a scene with him where he's not with the doctor you think oh, okay he's going to play up a little bit here he's going to get in the zone but he never really does he just has this kind of surprised look on his face the entire story mm. and um yeah and does his good shouty stuff so I don't know. I've, have you ever been a fan of Turlo anyway? Uh, for some reason, he just he's never struck a chord with me. No, not really. I mean, there are worse companions, but um, yeah, there's something about Turlo. I think they didn't really know what to do with his character, did they really? His whole thing is based around him working for the Black Guardian, trying to kill the Doctor, but not really wanting to kill the Doctor. And once you've sort of done that 50 times, which... He just and he doesn't kill the doctor. He, he, he loses a lot of interest in the character, really. And and obviously in this one, they they kind of finish that story up. So after this story, they really don't know what to do with him. He spends a lot of time walking around doing doing his jacket up and undoing his jacket. And yeah, he really just lingers around the back of the TARDIS and stuff. So it is nice to see him getting stuff to do in this story. I, I like the the bit where he goes to the other ship um, with. Uh, What's she called? Captain Rack. Rack. Yeah. Yeah. What a rubbish name. Um, yeah. yeah, Captain Rack. And he like pretends to, I want to be on your team and all that. So it is nice to see him getting <laughs> stuff to do. And I feel like he could have been a good character to though. I don't, I don't dislike him. Like I do. There are moments where I find him quite funny, although sometimes maybe unintentionally funny. Um, but there are moments like when he's with the fifth doctor and he's laughing because they think he's the cook and, he does this sort of crazy wide-eyed laugh and stuff. And yeah, I don't know. He's, he's sort of likable as character, but he, like you said, he doesn't really strike a chord to me, but he does at least get stuff to do in this story when he's locked in the air suction vent or whatever it is. It's quite oh, yeah. fun. It's like, yeah. oh no, why does he go towards the thing as well? Like, yeah, it's, it's sucking yep. him out the shoot anyway. But yeah, he, <laughs> it's good to see him getting a few things to do. 
but yeah, he's a, he's he doesn't really evoke much excitement. Exactly, yeah, and that's what I mean. Is as a, as a character, it's kind of um, he has a finite sort of um, his time on the show is was always going to be finite, right? Because mm. his main purpose was to kill the Doctor, which he doesn't do, and then yeah, the Black Guardian him. gets supposedly wiped out, and so what is left for him to do? Do you know what I mean? His character yeah. doesn't have the, like the um, sort of the the connection that you form with other companions who you've seen a bit of backstory for, or you've seen like with Tegan. In contrast, we've seen her backstory and why she, and how sorry she ends up with the Doctor, and then we see her constant wanting to get back home, back to Heathrow Airport. You know, and that sort of personality trait builds up to the point where you actually you understand exactly what her dynamic is with a doctor what her purpose is and all that kind of thing but with with turlow it's like mm, what is it what is it you're trying to do here because you've kind of decided that you're not going to kill the doctor that's clear so what is it you're doing then mm. there's no there's nothing to anchor onto him no story to, there's no anchor from much else but having said that he wasn't terrible in the story it was he was just you know just turlow just mark strix and doing the wide-eyed funny eyebrows <laughs> yeah, the funny eyebrow thing. He does say at the end of this story, he wants to go back home, doesn't he? Which you sort of you think, oh, that's okay, that's interesting. So he's a. Uh, I've never quite understood. Is he supposed to be? Where's he from? Because we, because uh, he first hit the screen when I was a kid, I've sort of always thought he was human, but he's not, is he? He's um, just trying to desperately look this up on on Wiki. Is what? What? Where's he from, Turlo? He's from Tryon. Right. So he's yeah. So. So we got that. So that that in itself adds a little element of uh, mystery to his character, which could have been explored more. But I mean, the the fact that I had to look that up and didn't even know shows how well it's explored in the in the actual series. And what happens next? Because they don't take him home. Because the next story is um, the the King's Demons. So what happens there? I, I, I not that I want to go and watch King's Demons next because I really don't. But so this story literally ends with him saying, Doctor, I want to go home. And he says, okay, then. And that's how it ends. A really downbeat, boring ending, by the way. I mean, <laughs> that didn't help to sort of lift the story because I was just like, is that it? Mm. So what, yeah, what happens with Turlo? Because I know he eventually goes back in, uh, is it Planet of Fire? Where they finally take him home. I can't remember. But anyway, so yeah, there, there are things to explore with Turlo. But as we know, they don't really go there do they and you would think the whole thing about the doctor realizing he's tried to kill him over the last two stories might make him a little distrusting of turlo and i can't mm. remember that being explored much either but that could have been a thing yeah that, so he could yeah. have been interested but that's that's exactly what i meant when i said that his his kind of purpose on the show was always going to be really limited and finite mm. because you have nothing else about the character to go forward with yeah. So the pact between him and the Black Guardian's done. Black Guardian's gone. He hasn't killed the Doctor. Now what? Now what's? What does he want to do? He kind of mentions that he wants to go home, which is kind of nice. So you think, okay, the Doctor's going to drop him home. Off he goes. See you later. Thanks for not killing me. And that's it. Yeah. But, yeah. But that, Thanks for making that decision. Yeah. But the continuity isn't there. So in the King's Demons, when they just they land within the royal court of whatever it is, back in whatever year that just has been forgotten 
and Turlo's just there still <laughs> for a few more episodes. So you think, well, I guess maybe you can just, you know, fill in the gaps and just be like, the doctor said, oh, I don't want you to go home, you know, stick around. It's going to be fun. Usual stuff with the doctor wanting companions stick around. And then that's it. He decided, oh, okay, yeah, cool. I'll knock about with you for a bit longer. So that's it. I don't know, but... I, I yeah. honestly can't remember how the King's Demon starts, but I don't remember any stuff. It's not like Tegan where he's moaning every episode, I want to go home and all this <laughs> sort of... No, you're not going home. But um, I found the scene at the end quite funny as well, unintentionally funny when the Guardian's making him choose. He's like, kill the Doctor and you can have this enlightenment you can have it and Turlo's got that wide-eyed smart Strixon's doing the whole oh, what shall I do thing I thought that was quite funny he's like oh shall I just kill the doctor and have it all uh, of course he makes the right decision and uh, doesn't kill the doctor and blows up the Black Guardian so it all turns out very well but it does wrap everything up unbelievably quick uh, it is slightly saved though by the fact that the White Guardian then turns around and says you know he's not He's not really defeated. Your third encounter will happen and be prepared. Mm-hmm. And so that again think you think, oh, okay. So there's more to come. It's not sort of it's not over that easy. They haven't killed him off that easily. But we have we've never had that third encounter, have we? So that's still out there to play out, apparently. That's still out there, yeah. Yeah. So the Black mm-hmm. Guardian see that's what I mean. So the Black Guardian it appeared he was killed off pretty easily in the end, but he wasn't. He's still out there. He's knocking around. If just you listen waiting. carefully, you can still yeah. hear that laugh or Ah. <laughs> yeah. Ah. <laughs> oh crikey yeah so the black guardian then mm. uh valentine dial what a name mm. what a name oh, no. what a name yeah what a name and what a laugh yeah clearly conceived on valentine's day you would assume you one would assume yep uh just super cheesy man up until that last scene i mean <laughs> fiona's just like look i need you to I need a proper villain cackle, right? I need the viewer to be like, oh, he's an evil, he's an evil one with a plan. So just do that. And uh, that was, we probably nailed it on the first one. She's like, all right, cool. Yeah, we'll keep the Scooby-Doo villain. <laughs> it's like you almost expect at the end of the story the, the line to drop, like, and I would have got away with it too if it wasn't for <laughs> the meddling doctor. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then the, uh, the White Guardian played by Cyril Luckham. Two very similar looking guys to at this point in their acting career, you know, coming up to the end of their careers as actors and so on. Fairly old, you know. Mm. Uh, but it's cool that they have that difference because you also have their, although they look quite similar from a distance, you've just got two, you know, old white dudes around the table. Um, you've got the, you needed that contrast to play out in their performance more than anything. Do you know what I mean mm. by that? So although they're quite similar as actors, it was cool that the White Guardian was very, you could tell he was like the light side of the force, like very, <laughs> um, uh, hmm. very approachable, friendly, you know, non-threatening. And then the Black Guardian was very evil and villain-esque. So that was cool. I, I do. I don't know about you. I do love that idea though, don't you? The Black and White Guardian sort of out there keeping balance hmm. in the universe. It's a nice, simple idea. And, and the bird thing on the head, despite being really <laughs> weird kind of works it's it's kind of it's so odd that it's it's kind of cool yeah <laughs> but, it's, but it's yeah. yeah it's a strange concept um just quickly going back to Vantar Dahl I he is very pantomime in this um but I like him I do like him in Mordrian Undead I remember as a kid being really freaked out by the look of him 
and the voice. You know, in in, in Mordred Undead, he's a, I think he's a bit more creepy because he sort of pops up in the, you know, in the reflection of the spaceship and stuff. He's yeah, he's he's very creepy. And I remember as a kid, he really freaked me out in Mordred Undead, like this sort of um, you know, popping up and and uh, trying to manipulate Turlo and stuff. It's it was really creepy back then as a kid. Mm. So I, I kind of still think he's really good casting. But yeah, he hams it up a bit. I, he's probably, by this point now, he's probably just like reading the script going, you know, pops up again, tells <laughs> Turlo to kill the Doctor again, does creepy laugh again. He's probably just, you know, had enough by now, like the audience. So Probably, mate, yeah, because yeah, that's all he's, he's he does. better though. in Mordrin. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> It's very cliche villain, yeah. Yeah, I think that goes back to what we were saying at the beginning of the review that um, it's just a bit anticlimactic for this to wrap up the Black Guardian trilogy kind of thing because he, he is only like the other stories he's in, he has a bit more to do. Whereas this one, it literally is just him popping up, having a cackle for a couple of scenes, yeah. And then at the end, he sort of just tries to, you know, put his case across, you know, you're. you're you're doomed, you know all this, you know the usual stuff, <laughs> and then and then he gets wiped out with a bit of uh, with a bit of fire. So yeah, From definitely a lamp. Yeah, yeah, so. definitely not as a, a, a great ending for the Guardian style story in this one. But no. yeah, uh, what do you think? To um, uh, before we get on to Davison, lastly, so we had another big name. So as oh, we yeah, mentioned, cool. Linda Barron as Captain yeah. Rack. What do you think to her? Then she's a bit hammy at times. She is, but I really liked her. She, she, I mean, I kind of feel like with that sort of character, um, I can I can sort of forgive the hammy acting because I, I think it kind of suits it. Um, there is a bit where she talks to camera, though, breaks the fourth wall, which must have been, a, I assume, in mm-hmm. a directing decision by Fiona Cummick, which is just bizarre. That's weird, yeah. It's like, yeah, I remember. So that's, again, <laughs> that's the sort of thing you get in a stage play, isn't it? It's very out of place i felt but but no i liked her i i I did i thought she was fun in fact i sort of wish she'd come into it a little bit sooner because um it definitely by the time we get to episode three and she comes into it it definitely needed something to pick the story up and i think she does that but she's just not in it that much so yeah yeah. but i thought she was good in it mate i I honestly did I, i thought she was fun brought a little bit of uh camp humor to the episode and sort of woke me up a bit i was starting to get a bit like this is a bit ploddy <laughs> she definitely does provide a, a bit, bit of needed spice to the story at that yeah at the point she comes in it i just wish she was in it a bit more like you said and that is a bit weird as well breaking the fourth wall and that looking down the camera strange, and again doing the classic old scooby-doo villain kind of yeah the doctor doesn't know who he's messing with is that kind of <laughs> story <Yeah. laughs> like i'll show him and then you, viewer, you'll you'll you rejoice with me in my defeat of the doc. You know, it's that kind of uh, that kind of thing, which is hilarious on its on its own. But uh, yeah, just very weird when when that happens in a story like this. It's like just a bit strange. But she was pretty cool, though. I mean, I, I love Linda Barron. She's always yeah. She's just a staple, isn't she? Of lots of seventies and eighties um television. So it's cool to see her in Doctor Who. Yeah, no, I, cool. I thought she she was fun in it. Yeah, yeah. if you want uh, if you want strange acting though, who's that guy from uh, <laughs> her like accomplice or I don't know the oh, other guy? The, the, he's acting really weird. He's, he's the guy that used to be in a pop band in the eighties. Um, Lee John, who played Mansell. Okay. He's the guy. He's yeah. like really spaced out. You know, he's like 
Yes, Doctor. <laughs> like, what was going on with him? It was, he was just, it looked like he was off his face. Yeah. Uh, well. Very strange. Uh, I don't think, I think this is his one and only acting job, I think it says on the commentary, and I'm not surprised. <laughs> he yeah, was terrible. He was interesting, wasn't he? Thank yeah. goodness he's only in it for like two or three scenes. <laughs> um, just before you move on to Dave Snell, I, I do like Keith Barron as striker because I like him as an actor. So oh, right. I thought he was, yep. uh, although he doesn't really stand out in this story as a as, as striker, but Keith Barron, um, I mean, he was another one that was in loads of things back in the 80s when he like he was best known. Do you remember Duty Free? That yeah, terrible yeah. ITV comedy. He was in that. And yeah, he popped up in everything like Minder and, and things. But I feel a bit sorry for him because on the DVD text, you know, you can watch it with the info text. It was saying that, because um, you were saying about the production problems of this story. So a lot of the people that were cast, by the time they actually got to make it because of all the problems uh, with the strikes and stuff, um, most of those actors couldn't couldn't actually film it, so they had to recast. Poor old Keith Barron. It was offered to, uh, to about 10 different people before him. Yeah. It was like, oh, it was supposed to be <laughs> Peter Salis, I think, you know, the guy who did, all right, Gromit, you know, the guy who did the Gromit Last of some white guy, supposed to be him, I think. Then they offered it to someone else, and they turned it down. Then they offered it to someone else, and and honestly, the text it just goes on and on, and it gets to about eight or nine people down the line, and it's like, and finally Keith Barron accepted the role. And I thought, God, I hope he didn't know that he was like, you know, that far down on the list. But I think he's quite good in it. I think he's actually pretty good casting because he has got this slightly odd look about him, and I think he's quite a good actor as well. So. He's playing it down in this part, obviously, because he's in Eternal and he's a bit spaced out. But I thought he was pretty good, didn't it? He was good. Yeah, yeah. he had that sort of cold look behind his eyes that was cold, needed. Yeah. yeah. He's the dudes, creepy yeah. guy that chases after Teagan. So, again, I thought he was quite interesting. I, I think that was... Um, I could be wrong, but I think that's... Uh, a really strange look about him, like an almost like classic look to his face i don't know i found him quite interesting actually yeah um i've never i don't think i've seen him in anything else before but yeah i'm getting confused i don't want to get him confused because one of the sailor dudes one of the head sailor dudes who they meet early on in the in the in the bunks that mm. was roy from eastenders right yeah oh yeah of course i've got he's yeah another good actor yeah yeah so i what's his what's the actor's name who played roy who played the dude in this i don't want to get him confused with that but um, oh, I can't remember. Is it? Uh, I can't remember his I can't name. Remember. Yeah, but I'm anyway, afraid. the guy that yeah. played the creepy guy after Tegan. Uh, very weird, but then you kind of, you get why, if that makes sense. He's he's intrigued by her. He's just another human that they've plucked out of history to do their, mm-hmm. you know, to work for them. But she's the first one that's kind of, He's like, oh, this is somebody different. And I, there was an attraction there. He's just, he's more intrigued and stuff. So he's just a bit I creepy. I think the character was called Mariner, in which case the actor would be called Christopher Brown. Christopher Brown, Not 100% possibly. sure, yeah. but that rings a bell. Yeah. Mariner. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't want to get him confused. I can't remember Roy's with... name from EastEnders. I can't remember his name. but <laughs> Yeah, I think that might be Tony Cornter, I think, Roy. Because he anyway. wasn't in it that much, was he? Uh, no, really? No. Oh, it's, it's him, yeah. Uh, Anthony Patrick Corner. That's Roy. Uh, that was Roy. Yes, I thought in so. In EastEnders. Yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> so it probably is that uh, that character, Mariner, then Christopher Brown. Yep. Mm, yeah. Yoth. Okay, and then lastly, the Doctor himself then, Mr. Davison. Uh, 
I'm going to say this wasn't his best story. Oh, okay. Even though I, I don't think Peter Davison minded this one. You know, he's quite vocal about the stories that he mm. wasn't really a fan of. I could be wrong, but I don't think I've ever heard him in an interview anything slate this one pretty badly. I don't think he was too upset with this one from a script perspective and story and so on. But I did find him to be a little bit, um, a little bit flat. In oh, a few okay. scenes. Overall, not terrible, not too bad. But yeah, I just found him a bit flat. What about you? No, I, I actually quite liked him in this one um, because I loved the stuff at the start when the TARDIS, he, he gets really cross. I love it when Davidson goes down that route with his doctor. He's like, don't you ever disobey <laughs> me again. And he's having a right, I'll go up to Turlo and shush. He's like, I want to hear the Guardian and all this. So I, I thought he was giving quite a good performance in this one better than i remembered actually there are a couple of moments when i feel like he's there was a bit where he was staring out of a window and i did wonder if peter himself had drifted off into another world i was like you do you do know the camera's rolling don't you because there were a couple of scenes i agree where he's perhaps yeah he's sort of just given up a little bit but (laughs) but for no for the most part i thought he was quite good i I like the bits where i felt like he added a sense of urgency to certain scenes because there isn't a lot of action or threat or, or anything like that in this story. And I think anything that uh, did sort of keep my interest going was scenes really where Peter was in it, sort of adding, dashing around and adding a bit of stuff like that. And also the typical fifth doctor humor that Peter would add in like that bit where he flips the coin to go one way and then turns around and goes (laughs) the other way, you know, little moments like that, which, you know, he adds to his doctor and brings to the doctor's character, which I like. Um, And he gets a new stick of celery as well. Gets a new one. Mm. Um, So yeah, I don't know. I I liked him in it. I thought he was pretty good in it. I I think (laughs) he does seem to run out of steam a little bit. I mean, at the ending when Turlo's got to decide whether to kill him or not, He's very laid back in that mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. And that could be a ten- intentional. It could be that he's just playing it cool. Uh, but I felt like he could have given a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But overall, I liked him in this one. I actually thought he was pretty pretty good. In fact, I think he sort of kept me invested in it because although I was sort of enjoying the story once I got into it, I you know, it is a plodder. And I was sort of... There were times when I was getting bored. And I think Peter's performance lifted it a bit i felt like you know like when he gets in the airlock with turlo and stuff and he's trying to figure it all out and yeah i thought he was pretty good in it maybe not his best i agree but i still thought he was good yeah yeah i didn't dislike him i just felt that there were there were scenes where he was a bit flat uh like when he's in the wheelhouse and there's that stuff going on he's just standing there with his hands behind his back uh just not really doing much and at the end like you said that scene with the with the Guardians and Turlo, and it's all kicking off. He doesn't move an inch. He's just standing there, and he's just watching. Mm. And he's, you can almost, you can almost see the glaze come yeah. over his eyes, and he's there almost a like a couple of scenes like that. Yeah. yeah. So it, you, you get the feeling that in his mind, he's thinking, "Must pick up the potatoes for dinner because <laughs> I'll get in trouble because we're having we're having lamb." So I must pick up the potatoes. <laughs> you know, you can see that's yeah. that they're the cogs going in his brain. He's like, yeah, yeah. So what I mean, but yeah, so it flat in terms of not a bad performance, but just maybe it's the direction. I'm not sure, but it's just flat as in, um, not just not really being very doctorish in some scenes. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to articulate this. I'm, I'm aware, but yeah, not his best, but certainly not his worst. You just said something quite interesting there, though. Not very doctory. And I actually 
think, yeah, to, to sort of flip that on the good side, not about Davidson's performance, uh, more the story, actually. I think that is one of the things I like about this story is it is, it is different, isn't it? Um, yes. Sorry, you just saying undoctory just made me think of undoctor who-ish. It's, it, I like the, that's what I like about this story. It doesn't. It does feel like very different to other Doctor Who stories. You know, the setting and the weird Eternals and everything like that. So I do like that side of things. Yes. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, just to to round off, then I think the story has got a very good. It's got a great sort of sense of originality to it. I think Barbara Clegg did a really good job of taking some of her sort of own life experiences and turning that into like a trippy kind of ahead of its time science fiction thing at the time back in, you know, the early eighties. I think that's a very cool. The book's probably very good. Actually, the, the, the novelization, which is also written by Barbara Clegg is probably very good. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So she, um, she based this story on, uh, some, um, she had a very wealthy group of family relatives who visit her, visited her family one time and they just insisted on being entertained and viewed her family as like lesser beings and you know wanted to be entertained and stuff so she drew on that kind of experience in her own life and turned it into like i said conceptually this very cool story Hmm. so i do like that part of it and like you said it is very different especially for davison's era of who so that's good i didn't know that that's really interesting actually i didn't that's first first i've heard of that there is a, an extended version of this um on the dvd i didn't have time to watch it and i i don't think i've ever watched it properly anyway i have a feeling that when i bought the dvd back in whenever it was released i would have put it on to, out of interest and it's got like new effects and that's um, right i think yeah. fiona coming oversaw the actual extent but i seem to remember it's not very good <laughs> I seem to remember thinking, well, because the, the special effects in it with the ships in this, yeah, they look dated, but they they've got that real eighties charm. I think it's not it's not a bad <laughs> it's not a bad model effect, but it's very much of its time. Um, whereas I seem to remember in the new extended version with new effects, they've tried to add in like modern effects that look yeah, worse yeah. than <laughs> you know that have dated more badly than than the actual original effects so but i i can't remember if it's this one or another story that where fiona cummings did an extended cut and they actually refilmed stuff and it was so bad and i don't think it is this story but i'm struggling to think which one it is it starts with these two guys in the spaceship and oh my god it was (laughs) terrible i was just thinking you know you appreciate the thought but you know just leave it leave it as it is we we appreciate the old charm of exactly classic who that's what we like about it i'm never a fan of updated effects she filmed a new introduction to that story but this isn't Mm. the one where they film new bits i wish i could remember which story it is because i often think i imagined it and then every now and again i'll remember it and i'm like oh that's the one and it was really bad it might be this one but i don't think it is the one i'm thinking of no uh, no, in fact i'm pretty sure it's not this one Yeah. yeah all right dude anything else on your notes for enlightenment no, no, I think that's no, covered it. Good. Yeah. Right, I think it's me to go first. Go for it. Scores, and I'm going to give this a 6.5. 6.5, okay. I'm going slightly higher. I'll give it a 7. 7, okay. 7, yeah, I'm interested. Oh, we probably haven't got it. Well, wondering what we scored the other two, but I haven't, probably can't find that now. But yeah, I think it's my second favourite of the trilogy. Your second, uh, oh, okay, right. Yeah, 
I, I would be interested to know what I scored more than Undead, but I'm sure I rated it higher than seven. But yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I can't remember when we did that. Is it must have been must have been a while ago now. Oh, it's a while back. Yeah, it's taken us a while to get round to this one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm. So I think um, yeah, Morgan Undead was episode ninety eight. So that would have been oh twenty fifteen. I probably would rate that as a seven or a seven point five, something like that. I mean, it's not it's not great. It's a weird story, but the, yeah. the, these two, I think, are on par with each other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Morgan Undead, um, you gave that a seven point five. Oh, really? Oh, there you go. And I gave it a 6.5. And Terminus, we probably gave a 2. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Okie dokie then. So uh, a 7 from him and a 6.5 from me. What did our listeners think to Enlightenment then? So over on Twitter, we had Will Sanger says it's one of the best Fifth Doctor stories. I love setting. I love the setting and the very creepy set of villains and characters that makes the story very sinister. It's one of the best stories for Turlo, faced with real conflict, and a compelling moral dilemma. An 8 out of 10. An 8. Wowzers. Uh, Ian says, love this story. The Eternals are fun. Keith Barron and Linda Barron camp it up outrageously. Sets look good and a nice resolution for Turlo at the end. Uh, our writer Jordan says, one is, uh, it's one I've grown to like over the years. The main cast are great, as always, but some of the supporting cast seem to be acting something completely different. <laughs> um, but there is a good story here, even if it does get a little muddled along the way. Uh, Rick Moran says uh, the best of the Black Guardian trilogy I've always loved a bit of intrigue and mystery in Doctor Who and Enlightenment has lots of it so many strange events and characters and surreal events it's a gorgeous looking episode too especially the sets and the costumes the dialogue themes and story are strong and the performances are of a good standard Davison is on form and it's nice to have a strong female villain with Linda Barron as Rack both writer Barbara Clegg and director Fiona Cumming did excellent jobs on this story, the arc about the Black Guardian and his influence on Turlo is concluded well, and after the great first part of the trilogy, Mordron Undead was followed by a disappointing middle bit with Terminus. This gets back to the high quality, so a 7 out of 10. Mm, okay. That's a good way of putting it, Rick. Uh, Edward Gillooly says, I've always quite enjoyed this. It's the best of the Black Guardian trilogy. The Eternals are interesting, 7 out of 10. Uh, one of our other writers, Maria, says one of my favourite Fifth Doctor stories plays mm. to this Doctor's strength as a more cerebral story and an ethical debate of the Eternals using other species for their games. Atmospheric, great writing and good roles for Turlo and Tegan, a 9 out of 10. 9, wowzers. Chippy T, cracking story. A nice to see the Doctor come up against a foe who could beat him. Always interesting to see episodes where settings or themes are displaced from the norm. Tegan was excellent, an 8 from me. And lastly, Sarah Louise, the running Whovian, says, I find this a pleasant watch, a typical classic Who mystery for the Doctor to solve. Good supporting cast. Tegan is less whiny. Turlo delivers facial expressions to rival Pertwee's. And the <laughs> spaceship visuals have kind of a, uh, a kind of charm. Only a fan of this era would appreciate. Uh, yeah. 7.5. Very cool. cool. And over on Facebook, we had a few there. Jeff Waddle says, there's a good story at the core of this, quite psychedelic in concept which is rare in Who, but overall there's very little threat or excitement and Lee John seems to be acting in a different story than everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> it's all a bit bizarre, but certainly one of the more interesting Davison stories. Andrew Stewart says, I really love this one, probably because I love Davison as the Doctor and all of his TARDIS crew. The story is really interesting and Barbara Clegg writes a good script. I think Mariner starts off a bit creepy, but as the story goes on, you really start to understand why he's the way he is and felt a bit sorry for him. Andrew goes on to give it a 9 out of 10. 
Uh, Gavrick Sawyer says, honestly, such an underrated Doctor, uh, Fifth Doctor story. The Eternals are some of Doctor Who's most interesting villains, and I thought the imagery of space of the space race was just so unique, an 8 out of 10. Toby Coleman says, rest in peace, Linda Barron. This is an odd story that I quite enjoy. I think Turlow is probably at his strongest due to his dilemma over the Guardians. The Guardian that Tegan spends a lot of time with is unsettling due to the lack of humanity. I would love to see the Guardians and Eternals return again someday. Uh, a 7.5. Cool. Charlie Turner, uh, I like with my th- uh, like with my thoughts on the Armageddon factor from the key to time. It's not horrible. It just doesn't seem to work for me. We need to see the Guardians again, though, and not just mention like they were in Can You Hear Me in Series 12 with Jodie Whittaker. Oh, were they? Five out of ten at most. It's just an okay story. Were they mentioned in that one? They probably were. Yeah, nice one, Charlie. Yeah. Uh, Right, last couple. Joseph Howarth says, I will say this is probably the best in the Black Guardian trilogy. The Eternals are really intriguing as creatures, not necessarily evil, but not necessarily good either, just sort of empty husks with no concept of emotions. (laughs) I feel the Black Guardian and Captain Rack were the over the... Uh, we're over the top, but it doesn't matter when the story is good overall. I will say Mariner was creepy towards Tegan, but maybe misunderstood. Otherwise, good. Mm-hmm. Eight out of ten. Cool. And lastly, Martin Arnold said, I love this story. Always have. It has a dreamy quality, and the aesthetics of the old sailing ships in space is evocative. The ethereals slash eternals are suitably alien and strange. The resolution to the Guardian story is a bit cheap, but inevitably predictable. This has always been a personal favourite of mine, and seeing Joan Sim somewhat out of character was always amusing. Eight out of ten. Eight out of ten. Joan Sims, does he mean Linda Barron? I think probably, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We know what you mean, Martin. No worries, dude. Mm. Alrighty, so relatively strong scores there, dudes. Mainly mainly eights and nines, which is good. Are you surprised by that? Because this isn't exactly... A story that comes up as being that highly regarded that often, is it? If you're down the pub, people don't normally sit there and say, oh, you've, you've got to watch Enlightenment, it's a belter. So I'm, a, I'm quite surprised by the high scores. Uh, I'm surprised, but once you start reading them and you get a sense of, okay, there's some common themes to like here, then it's, you, you know, you know why. But like you said, it's just not one that you pluck out of the air around the table, mm. I guess, yeah. And I, I will say this, I it was certainly better than I was expecting. Like when, mm. when I saw it was on the list, I thought when I was saw that we were going to review it this week, I don't know about you, but I was like, oh no, Enlightenment. I wasn't <laughs> looking forward to watching it. And it, I think it's it's made me appreciate the story more, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, true. And I do, I do really like Davison's Doctor as well. I think he's such a I great do. underrated Doctor. So it's um, it's lovely to go back and and look at some of his uh, his stuff. So I think uh, we've only got two more Davison stories left to review. Yeah, we have Frontios um, and Planet of Fire. I was going to say, I knew Planet of Fire was yeah. on there. Frontios, couldn't remember what the other one was. Interesting. Okay, dude, what have we got for review next week? It's a bigger next week. I think listeners will be surprised we haven't reviewed this because it, it's a big story and it is the day of the Doctor. The 50th the big one. anniversary story, the big one. Day of yeah. the Doctor. This yeah. should be interesting, actually, because it's, yeah. <laughs> it was there was a massive build up to this story and there was a lot riding on it and um yeah i think it's going to be an interesting one to talk through indeedy yes and it's always a surprise when people learn that we haven't reviewed this one yet so mm. i think it's high time that we got round to it dude indeed and, and got our scores down for it so next week the day of the doctor should be pretty sweet 
Yes. And I think we'll, put a st- we'll stick a pin in it there, buddy, for episode 351. Alrighty. Thank you so much for sticking with us and listening to another episode of the Big Blue Box podcast. That was episode 351. And we reviewed Enlightenment as well as going through some cool news stories this week. So the very cool sci-fi science show kicks off in Liverpool on the 27th of May. Go and check that out. And of course, the big news of the casting announcement for the 14th Doctor shooty. So um, yeah, let us know what your thoughts are on that. You can find us on the socials. Just let us know what you think to that stuff. Next week, as Adam said, our review story, we're going back to Modern Who, and it's the big one. It's the big 50th anniversary story, The Day of the Doctor. So we have Matt Smith, we have David Tennant back, and we also have a certain other Doctor who doesn't have a number. Bless him. But uh, what, yeah. did, uh, what did Matt call him in the Time Doctor? Old Grumpy Face? Old gr- yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so get your DVDs watched, get BritBox. Uh, not BritBox, it's not on there, is it? Uh, iPlayer, your Blu-rays, your DVDs, whatever you've got. Get that watch because we'll be asking for your opinion on that. As always, in the meantime, make sure you're following or subscribing to this podcast in your fave podcast app. We put a new episode out every Friday. You can also listen on the website, bigblueboxpodcast.co.uk, and check out the other articles and reviews there too. We're on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Links on the website and a free Discord server, so hop in there and chat Doc 2 with other Who fans. Also remember to check out Adam's channel on YouTube. It is, of course, The Geek's Handbag. The Geek's Handbag, yes. Go and check out my YouTube channel. Also on all the socials. Go and do it. TikTok. Apart from Not TikTok, that, of yeah. course. Yeah. <laughs> so go and do it. Yeah, check out Adam's stuff. Very cool. Until next time, my name's Gary. My name's Adam. And remember, it's...